0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Ask Matthew Anything with your regular hosts uh, Matthew and Andrew. Say hello to the world, Andrew. Hello, everyone. And we have a guest again. Uh, this time we've got Sam all the way from New Zealand. Hello, Sam. Hello, everyone. Hello, thank you. Right now, Sam, I contacted you and asked you if you wanted to do an episode because you made a comment on the. Premier Unbelievable boards, the discuss boards, uh, about having grown up as a Christian, if I understand right, moved to an atheist uh, at some point later in life, and then as an adult moved from atheism back to Christianity. So I said, "Ha ha, there's a story I'd like to hear more about. So I said, would you like to talk about that on an episode? And you very graciously and very quickly said, yes, I'd love to. So here you are, um, after a couple of weeks of Working it out by emails, we, we've got you on. So, as I said before, I'm specifically interested in the reasons that drove you from atheism back to Christianity. Because I and and uh, Andrew are both former Christians, and as adults, we moved from Christianity to atheism, and um, we're we're fairly certain, we're fairly strong uh, on our atheism in that you know we've got limits on what would move us to Christianity, and we're quite quite firm on that so i'm interested in exploring what takes somebody back uh, over that boundary so that's part of your story that i'm most interested in but we're going to have a bit more of your story from from a little bit on uh what your christianity uh, was uh, when you were younger and and how you got into that and what brought you into atheism so we'll try to explore uh, all of that story and hopefully it'll be something of of interest to uh, to our listeners and uh, listeners I'll throw this up uh, straight up any questions that you have uh, from Sam's story as you, you hear it through this episode please drop us a, a line with the usual contact details which you'll be reminded of at the end of this episode and maybe we can uh, either have Sam back to answer those questions or get them answered uh, separately uh, via an email or or other way so I'm that's how this way. pardon Sam I missed that
1: I-, I would be happy to either way Email okay. or
0: excellent. excellent thank you sam so you, you heard that from the horse's mouth so to speak listeners so let's start at the beginning end so you you brought you were brought up as a christian if i understand right can you just confirm right. that for for me and uh talk a little bit about your early christian years
1: i was uh, born in a family i have three siblings a brother and two sisters and uh, we were raised in a presbyterian church we Church, go to church every Sunday. We very rarely missed a day. We would, um, you know, during summers probably. It was in Colorado. We would head up to the mountains in the summers, and occasionally miss a day. But aside from that, we were a regular church-going family. Uh, as of today, my my brother is agnostic, and my both my sisters are atheists. And um, I certainly went through an atheist period myself. But um, it was the church itself was a fairly conservative Christian Presbyterian church. And uh my family was was slightly more liberal Presbyterian Christian. They um, my my father was always keen to have us questioning and 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 not accepting what we were told at face value. So there were many, many discussions after after our Sunday school and church where he would say, Well, do you really believe that? And and so it certainly raised us all to be skeptics enough so that at least Two of us ended up atheists,
0: and a third a agnostic. So, okay. And you you said Colorado, so presumably Colorado, Colorado, USA.
1: Yes, yes, I am an American okay. living
0: in New Zealand. Okay, we'll we'll get onto the move and New Zealand. so presumably that was a, as an adult, then, not with your yes, with your family. As so. okay, right?
1: Yeah. Still in Colorado.
0: Okay, we haven't we haven't spoken to anybody who says Presbyterian as their upbringing, have we, Andrew? I, not
2: that, not that I recall.
0: I remember as a teenager my dad going to a Presbyterian church when I was growing up in Zambia. But I think that was specifically called a Scottish Presbyterian, so I don't know how that would differ from the Presbyterian uh, that you mentioned. But my memory is it was it was quite conservative uh, for, form of Christianity, not too. Um, I was going to say not too unlike the Church of England but Church of England is possibly more liberal than than conservative uh, but I I remember it being um very staid uh, if that's the, the right word it was oh, okay. very very formulaic uh, the, the the church services were very similar and they always ran this, the same formula the same kind of introduction the same number of Songs before the notices, same number of songs before the sermon, that kind of thing. Does that does that match your description? The frozen
1: chosen, yes. <laughs> Good for No in our services.
0: So and that was was uh, pretty much all of your your younger years, then I take it.
1: Uh yes. Um I mean, there was some experience. I, I I dated a Hungarian girl in high school who was um an exchange student living with a Baptist family, so I attended their church. On a couple of occasions, and they were far more fundamentalist than the church that I had gone to. But um, yeah, my upbringing itself was was Presbyterian.
0: Yeah, yeah. At the the time I was telling you about with my my father going to. Presbyterian church, my mother was going to a, an Assemblies of God church because my parents had separated uh, by then. So when I was staying with my mum, it was a very charismatic, very evangelical Assemblies of God service. The length of the service varied from from week to week, as did the length of the sermon, as did just about about every right. other characteristic of the service. Then right. I'll go to to. To go and stay with my dad and it would be very formulaic, it would start on the dot at the same time, it would finish pretty much on the dot at the same time, the yeah, sermon was always the same, the same length and um, it was very very different experience going between the two churches Any questions from you Andrew? Well
2: I'll just say that um, my uh, my Christian experience may be slightly different from from both of you, so the listeners have heard me say, uh, a time or two. Uh, I'm I was a member of the Church of Christ, and while the the service experiences would would be broadly the same, you know, a, a song, a prayer, a song, a song, a prayer, two songs, a sermon, you know, but every Sunday we also took communion, which is um, which is fairly unusual uh, in this day and age, right? You don't, you don't see communion very often maybe around christmas um in some churches of course the collection plate was was handed around but uh one of the one of the things that would probably differ uh between the three of us is you walk into a church of christ and you never see an instrument of music ever you don't see a piano you don't see a guitar you don't see drums and uh and so it's 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 this incredibly conservative almost stodgy kind of place right it's just it's as if uh it's as if smiles and happiness are outlawed. You know, the, the moment you walk into the narthex, right? <laughs> and and you, uh, Christian and Tal- you, say that again.
1: And the Christian Taliban.
2: Oh, that, oh, oh it is. It is music, you know, music
1: is forbidden, but you're just not allowed to enjoy it.
2: What? Well, right. And and so uh, <laughs> it's funny that you <laughs> say Taliban <laughs> because uh, there is a there is still a uh, a so. If you can say far right for the Church of Christ, because the, the Church of Christ is as far right as you can go. So then, uh, you know, in, in incredibly conservative, speak where the Bible speaks, be silent where the Bible is silent. First century, uh, first century Christianity, you know, people of the book, blah, blah, blah. And then if you can think about what it would mean to be far right in that crowd. Well, what you would see is women that steer, that still wear veils. To church. (laughs) Right. It's a it's a it was a strange it was a strange sort of place. And and I'm guessing, Sam, that that whatever that Christianity would be uh, today and, you know, uh, your your children can't go to school dances. You know, there's no uh, uh, social drinking is is absolutely forbidden. Uh, you know, you, there's a, there's always a, a really deep concern about public reputation, all of that kind of thing. And Presbyterian Christianity is a little different from that, isn't it?
1: We're a bit more laid back, yeah. 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 No prohibition on public drinking. We would, music, we, we had an organ in the church. Right. And a piano. And occasionally somebody would bring a guitar. It was all accepted. All.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's, um... It's interesting. So I don't know. One of the one of the interesting questions is if I'd encountered a different kind of Christianity, and I have family that are that are Baptist and Methodist, but Church of Christ just happened to be sort of where I landed, right? The the circle of friends I had, or or whatever, it'd be very interesting to to sort of think about um, would I still be a Christian today if I had encountered and lived my early life as a Methodist because, uh, because I'd have walked away as a Baptist, I think, <laughs> 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 because, you know, uh, you know, come from the Southeast United States. So what, what do you get? Well, you get the Southern Baptist, right? And it's not, yeah, yeah. It's not like there's a lot of difference between what I've, you know, maybe, maybe they use pianos and organs for sure, but um, you know, still, still very, very deeply uh, conservative and, in that movement comes a lot of uh, things like young earth creationism and, uh, uh, you know, uh, science denying at other levels. And that was part of what uh, caused me to walk away. And uh, I'm guessing that, so the president of the Presbyterian church in the town I grew up in, uh, you know, those kids didn't have a problem with evolution. And, and I'm guessing that, no. I never did. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh...
1: Although a bit of an interesting story, we had, a, we had a preacher at one point, and funny enough, his name was Darwin. Oh, that is funny. And um, we got into a bit of a, a heated debate, not me and him personally, but, but um, mm. uh, one of the schoolroom classes and him about evolution. And he wasn't, I, you know, I, I don't want to mischaracterize his, his views. I don't know that he was a, a strict creationist. But he was the one who was poking holes in the evolution and saying that that the math doesn't add up, that that evolution can't have happened in the way that that, um, Darwin's theory is proposed.
2: Yeah, that's one of the the funny sort of objections to me is um, when, this is not always the case, but often when I hear people speak of Darwin, sometimes they'll even say neo-Darwinism. Uh, and, and certainly Darwin's views were not perfect, but then again, I've, I've got a friend who's a, who's a physicist with a, with an emphasis in, uh, in neuroscience. And one of the things he says is that's just not the view of scientists today, uh, biologists, you know, it's, it's, not as if, it's not as if it has not been recognized that, uh, progress beyond survival of the fittest it's not as if we haven't made progress beyond that right right and uh, and and so it's one of those funny kind of objections where you just have to you just have to acknowledge that um whatever a person is likely to mean by darwinian evolution is not the full picture today and so in some sense even if unknowingly that's a that's a kind of straw man Against evolution right at least no. in my view
1: at least in my view the science didn't stop at Darwin
0: right no right no exactly right so so you mentioned that your your father was um or your family even uh, was was open to questions and uh, and so so questioning what you'd uh, been told was was always an option and oh, very uh, much. Uh, and uh that's one thing I think I lacked in my upbringing, uh, but I I think that's an, an admirable trait. I think we need to take that gamble with our children and uh, accept that there will be some things that traditions that we bring our children up in that that they would choose to abandon later in life. And I think as parents we we need to take that risk uh, I, with our I children. I
3: think you
1: have to. I there recently there have been these these what two two. Uh, young Christian apologists who have, have come out and say they're, they're now questioning their faith and having doubts. Once a singer. Yes. I mean, you might be more familiar yeah. with this than, than me, yep. but um, it, it sounds to me like they were raised in a faith where you, you don't ask questions and this is where it leads.
2: So you did ask questions um, at some point and, and at some point maybe in your, teens or twenties. I mean, so I'm I'm just asking at some point you were a Christian and younger than you are now, you walked away from, for some period of time. What did that transition look like? What, what did you believe before that? and, And then, you know, you, you, uh, somehow lost your faith. You know, that's, that's sort of popular phrasing, right? What happened in that transition? What moved you from, uh, a Christian moral view to a non-Christian moral view originally? Well,
1: I, I started asking, well, I don't even know when I started asking questions. I know I started getting into trouble asking questions around the age of 12. Mm. I remember um, I was in the, the junior high Sunday school class, and I had the gall to propose it. There wasn't really a devil the devil was was a convenient construct for i didn't use um, i wasn't nearly this articulate but convenient construct for for us to cast our you know why we do things wrong and there really was no need for a devil and this caused a fewer in the church i i think i was arguing with my entire class it was me against 12 other 12 year olds and and the sunday school teacher of course and this turned into such a fewer in the church that uh the pastor, again, Darwin, had to come in and, and, and set us straight. Let us know that. Oh, it, wow. It, it wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, that was probably more harsh than it was. He wasn't telling us you have to believe this, but he came in and said, you, there, there is a devil, and the kind of the, the Kaiser Associate, the greatest trick he ever pulled was tricking people into believing he doesn't exist. That's the most dangerous way to, to mm-hmm. handle the devil. And I, I am, I'm being faithful to his argument. It's, it's been 30 years now. But, sure. Sure. Um, and and so questioning was was something that I found I, I quite liked to do, and I, I really enjoyed debating with everybody in the church and being me against 12 people. I mean, <laughs> that that hasn't changed a bit. And um, I remember in my high school class, I, I started you know reading the Bible and and a lot of the. I don't know what the stance of the church was, but certainly a lot of the the kids around me took it as as literal. They, they were certainly um, believers that the the uh, the Bible was was the literal truth, and I certainly was having some issues with that. I six thousand year old Earth didn't add up to what I was learning in school, and uh, evolution certainly made a lot of sense to me, and so. I was constantly pushing back and I think one of my, one of my proudest achievements at the time was uh, I, I was able to get the, the Sunday school in my, the, the teachers in my high school Sunday school class to, to admit that there were things in the Bible that that didn't make sense. And um, also that they, they could not say with that, with positive certainty that there was a God. They may believe in their hearts that absolutely there is a God, but they could not, 100% say I know this for sure and so right. that's kind of where my, my faith was in my high school years and towards the end of my high school years it started to you know the, the evidence against it started to mount up that the bible was was inaccurate that there were things that didn't make sense in it and um yeah I, I walked away I I don't think I would have ever called myself a hard atheist I don't think that I ever said absolutely there's no god I think that uh, rationally, my my opinion was much more along the lines of uh, what would be an agnostic atheist. I I didn't believe, but I also wasn't about to say no. There's definitely no God.
2: I think um, I think Matthew and I both hold. Um, so so we would we would call it hard atheism versus soft atheism, or or agnostic atheism is is equally is equally good. Um, I would not say that there is not a God. I would say that uh, the evidence that I have. Uh, been presented thus far does not equal any God that I have been presented with thus far. Right. And uh, and so you know if, if there's a God hanging uh, you know hanging out under a rock somewhere on Pluto, well, you know, okay, but that's a that's a different claim uh, from the other gods that, that have been offered to me. So so like you um, as an atheist, I'm I'm a soft atheist. I'm not making an absolute claim.
0: Know. Right. Yes, yeah, so I would say the same for myself. Although I would qualify that by saying I'm probably about as close to the line as, as it is possible to get without stepping over. So you know, I'm I'm kind of like the, the 6.9 on the Dawkins scale kind of thing. <laughs> I'll, I I won't I won't say never, but I'm probably as close as I could possibly get without saying never. If that makes sense.
1: That yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. I think today I would probably call myself a soft Christian. I believe there's a God, but I'm not convinced.
2: Now that that is really uh, Matthew, I don't I don't know how this fits with with what you had in mind. But does that lead us into?
0: Go ahead. Um, yeah, I certainly want to um, uh, unpack that a bit more. I'm not sure we're ready for that yet, but we I think we need to uh, make make a note, yeah. note of that. Yeah, one yeah so um so at what age then were you when you decided mm. to, to step away from christianity i i, I can't i probably can't take been, this
1: uh, probably around 18 17 18 okay. right around the time i was graduated from high school and i was leaving home and leaving my church i went up and worked at the ski resorts for a year and didn't go to church and honestly just didn't think much about it i i Moved away from that and was was happy to move away from it.
0: Right. So this is still living in America, presumably, because I understand Colorado's yeah, I, got some good skiing areas.
1: Oh, it's got some incredible skiing areas. It's good I, I worked at the, the ski resorts for for a year and really, really got good at skiing.
0: Okay. Excellent. Do you, uh, do you still ski occasionally?
1: Oh, when I can? Here in New Zealand, uh, the, the ski resorts are about four hours drive away. So I actually haven't been here skiing in, in New Zealand. But I was in the states last year, last February, and uh, February before last, and got up skiing.
2: The next time you're uh, next time you're over in the states, I'll introduce you to uh, a different kind of skiing. We'll we'll go water skiing. Uh, <laughs> although you may have been water skiing at some point, uh, you
1: know. I, I never have they oh, oh, yeah, in well, Colorado, to, but I've never been. Yeah,
2: well, will have, have to get you have to get you out on some water skis. Uh, it's a uh, it's also fun. It's a uh, it's like um it's like real skiing, but you don't have to get cold. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you're skiing right, don't get cold anyway. You're oh well, yeah. So stupid southerner that doesn't go snow skiing. You know what are you, what are you gonna do? <laughs> <laughs> so you you. Didn't think a lot about Christianity during that time. Did you think a lot about atheism? Out of curiosity, uh, I
1: I didn't think a lot about God. I didn't think that you know I had come to the conclusion that the the, the Bible couldn't be trusted. Mm. I had come to the conclusion that uh, I would say more likely than not there wasn't a God. I think it wasn't something that, that if, if somebody had asked me, I would have held my hand up and said, yeah, there's, I don't believe in a God, but nobody did ask. So I was never really pushed on the subject.
2: Did you, at that time, uh, cause, because, because you know, as adults, we're uh, sometimes more intellectual than we are as, you know, as, as young people. And, and by the way, if I were working in a ski resort, I would not be pursuing anything intellectual. I'm pretty sure. So, so there's no so there's no implied criticism no, there.
3: Skiing I said, and girls, right?
2: Exactly, I said, and I might have to reverse the order on that. I was, <laughs> well,
1: it's, it's hard at the ski resorts because there's a there's a ratio of, of you know six guys for every one girl. So you, you take what you can get.
2: Okay, yeah. So that's pretty. That's pretty awful. That's so you that's have not, to.
0: So there's motivation to be the better skier then. Or well, the I don't trainer. know that the
1: better skier gets the girl It's probably the more charming guy.
2: No, I was, I was okay. I can't be a snow skier because <laughs> I'm not going to be. The, let's be completely out of that conversation. Uh, did you did you do any reading um, at that time? You know, um, so that's 30 years ago. So a lot of Dawkins stuff wasn't around at the time. I mean, did um but it's not like this debate wasn't raging even even then, right? So there's talk of, of Darwin origin of species and no, all that sort no, of things. I
1: wasn't I wasn't really exploring at that time. I wasn't looking at, at the different arguments. Mm-hmm. I'd start looking at some of the different arguments. You know, the, the following year I went back to, to college or I went to college, not back to college.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And um took a philosophy course and well I didn't realize at the time I was exposed to Euthyphro's dilemma and and some of the arguments against God that were mm-hmm. were kind of bandying about.
2: And did that did you uh, transition back into Christianity while you were in college?
1: No, I didn't transition back to Christianity until probably much later I, I, um I think I transitioned out of being an, an atheist while I was at at college, and it was mm. kind of the, the the first step on that journey was was um Kind of a Pascal's wager, although I hadn't heard of Pascal's wager. My, no. in, in my mind, it was nobody's getting out of this life alive. And while there is a possibility that, that there's nothing in the next life, there's a possibility that there is. And even though there are hundreds of different religions, one of them might be the right religion. So you should probably start exploring them because the other option is either nothingness, in which case you haven't wasted your time Exploring the religions, or the other possibility is that one of them is right and you get it wrong.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah I think Pascal's wager can be quite convincing to people. It was—I remember when I first heard it. Um, it, I think, it was from when I saw the, the singer Cliff Richard uh, in an interview. He brought it up as a question in answer to a question about what convinces him and I didn't know it as Pascal's wager until many many years later but I remember hearing him articulate it and yeah as as a young Christian for me that was terribly convincing and it, it cemented my faith even even more I think hearing hearing the argument being expressed by someone I respected.
1: I, I will say that I, I question that, that God is going to appreciate you, you hedging your bets, and that's why you believe. I, think that, mm. I don't know I think, that God's going to say, well, okay, fair enough. I'll, I'll let you in because you, you believe because you're, it was the best option you had.
2: So that's, but, a, that's an interesting uh, conundrum, isn't it? Um, what is the nature of God, if, if there is one? Oh, um, certainly, certainly.
1: So we can, we can talk about that later as well.
2: Well, so there's something, there's something interesting there. I I will say that, that my problem with Pascal's wager is that I, well, okay. I think Pascal's wager has two problems for me as an atheist. And and I'll just readily admit that as a Christian, I saw it exactly as you do. Okay. So I I fully agree with everything you said about Pascal's wager and how it's characterized uh, for Christians as an atheist. It has two problems for me. Um, first, while while it is true that there may be a God, and, and, and you might be right, you know there's, uh, one religion or another may be right and that religion's picture of God may be right, um, it's possible to see a universe of duality completely without a God and to have some sort of afterlife appeal without a God. And so for me, the continuum is is not as easily divided as, uh, you know after you die there's nothing or after you die there's uh, some God with whom you either do or don't live happily ever after right And so no, certainly certainly right. right. So, so the, Buddhists,
1: the Buddhists are, are not necessarily deists or theists. Right. They, you can be a yeah. Buddhist and not believe in God and still believe in a natural life. So yeah, I
2: agree I agree Right. right. The, the other problem I have with Pascal's wager is it sets up a false dichotomy for our time here. I'm not necessarily convinced that just because Christianity has a particular moral structure that has been successful, it is necessarily the best moral structure that we can have. And so when Pat, when, so when the wager says, but why not just live this good way, right? There's the the presupposition that that way, um, you know, we, we sort of, uh, incul- we, we sort of enculturate that thing, right? It sort, it sort of becomes, the, it has this aura about it. You know, it's old and, and you've got a lot of thought behind it and all of that sort of thing. But but I'm not necessarily sure. I'm not necessarily sure that that entrenchment is a good argument. Because, like in the United States, so you and I come from the same country, right? And, and even with Christianity, we had to have laws that created protected classes, um, you know, like, like uh, the handicapped and uh, the LGBT community and the, uh, you know, uh, so race, color, religion, sex or national origin, right? Those, those, we named those things as part of our protected classes. And I might feel differently if Christianity had been successful in solving those problems on its own, then, then I might say, well, yes, Pascal's Wager, uh, on the face of it, regardless of an afterlife, feels feels like the right thing to do, but you know, there's there's a problem for me there. And sorry, so you go ahead.
1: Well, I was going to say that that uh, to some extent, I think Christianity did deal with those things. It may not have dealt with them as timely of a fashion as as we would like, but we we live in a Christian culture. We swim in a Christian culture. The ideas, you know, the ideas that influenced. John Locke and, and um, John Stuart Mills, these are all people who, who grew up just saturated in Christianity. They're people who Christianity is in the air that they breathe. And it, to, to a large extent, I know this is a huge debate that's going on right now in between um, when we have ended up where we are today without Christianity I know Ben Shapiro's book makes the argument that, that we we owe an awful lot to to Athens and Jerusalem. There's a there's another book called Athens from Athens to Jerusalem that makes a similar argument that these these foundations that that have given us the modern world were built on these ancient ancient societies and their their ideas on on democracy and their ideas on morality.
2: Hmm. It's it's an interesting one because for me it breaks down when you realize that um, the Islamic faith. Had a golden age too, from about the old 950, 900 or 950 uh, CE uh, to about 12 or 1300 CE, depending on where you draw the lines around the the golden era uh, of Islam. And during that time, there was a, there was a lot of scientific advancement. Um, you know, there was a there was a drive to understand the world around us. Uh, and in fact. I think our our notions of scientific advancement go far, far further back uh, than than one CE, right? And so, oh, definitely. Uh, yeah, so so I'm not fully convinced by that argument for those reasons because we do have cultures that are successful without Christianity that that are ethical that uh, you know that would use some version of the golden rule, right? If if, if that's your thing. And so I'm not sure that I necessarily buy that, uh, again, that swimming in Christianity is what got us here. Uh, it is part of why we're here. But if you say Christianity is how we got here, you sort of have to whitewash over everything that came before 1CE and everything that came after 1CE that wasn't Christian-pinned.
1: I, I'll push back. I okay. think that. Well, to start with, it's it's not Christianity per se, but Judeo Christianity. I think that, that the the morality that was born out of out of Judaism is, to a large extent, Christian borrowed. Christians borrowed that. that.
3: Mm.
1: And um, I would also say that uh, if you if you look at the world at at that time, if you look at the Roman Empire that was later converted by Christianity, it was a much more uh, barbaric place i think that the the concept of, of being created in god's image and therefore each individual has value was something that would have been completely foreign to the romans they had science sure they had they had a morality of their own but it wasn't the morality that, that and you look the world over you look at, at china today or or india today and and the idea of of all people being equal is, is foreign to them.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So they are not
1: they are not immoral cultures. I, I wouldn't say that, but it's 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 unique to to the Western world the ideas that, that Christianity has has brought and has has created. I think to some China extent, as well. And sure. sure. It, I'm not saying
2: that all success is is spawned from Christianity. That's not that's not at all what I'm saying. No, I get that. And 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 I hear the you know, I, I hear that we're both trying to to draw some reasonable lines, not to make outrageous statements about, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg. Right. It's not really the conversation we're having. But I think that to some extent, we've got a bit of selection bias uh, in the United States. Uh, so I don't want to use this one example um, as if it is um, as if it, as if it is somehow dispositive for my view. Right. But I had a I had a friend from from China when I worked uh, at a bank and uh, we were running partners for a while. Uh, we we would run at lunch. Uh, I was marathon training at the time. And uh, so one of the one of the natural conversations between two friends from the United States and and China or, or anywhere around the Pacific Rim. Right. Is is the question about use of atomic weapons. So not not necessarily China, but you know, it's an area of the of the world uh, that was, you know, uh, the Pacific Rim. Right? They all have some thoughts about the U.S. and the release of atomic weapons.
1: And, and so the only place to have been attacked by an atomic weapon, yes.
2: Right. Well, and that was his point. He said, "Look, the, the U.S. flies the the, uh, the the flag of being the world savior." But I will just tell you that outside the United States, one of the big problems is you were the only guys ever to use atomic weapons on foreign soil. Now, I'm not, I, believe me, I'm, I've, I love our country, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting that that was the wrong act. It was an incredibly complex time, and a lot went into that, and you know, we could talk about that history or not. But what I am saying is that when we think about Christianity there's also this idea of the West uh, that comes into it. And I think we've got a certain amount of selection bias uh, in the way we see our culture and what impact we have on the rest of the world. I, I think that's
1: fair. I, I also think that um, part of it comes down to, this is a, a very old Jewish idea, the idea that, that the world is a broken place and that the, even good people make, make horrible, terrible decisions. Another, another example with um, mm. America is slavery, of course. And yeah. you know, George Washington, who I think is an absolutely spectacular man, he, he risked his life and his fortune on, on a cause of freedom, owned so, slaves. Right. And it's, it's, how, did, how did he justify that in his own mind? Probably he didn't think about it very much until, until the end. He, in the end, he did let his slaves go. Um, uh, we're, we're complex creatures and, and we don't always live up to our morals that's, that's the nature of
2: being fallen but doesn't complexity account for uh, Matthew I have been holding the mic for way too long and take it away from me at any moment I'm sorry
0: <laughs> I'm um, quite happy to listen to you talk but I have got a question for you when you when you're done there okay
2: so I'll, I'll just I will say this in one sentence and be quiet it seems to me that we are complex creatures, and the nature of that complexity accounts for the range of things that we see in this world entirely without the need for an appeal to brokenness. Was that one sentence? I, I tried to do it in one sentence. <laughs> I, I think that was one sentence, why?
0: Yeah, no, I want to rewind back to the uh, discussion around Pascal's wager because this. It's a question that I pondered myself uh, only, only in the last couple of weeks and I'm not really sure how I would answer it, so I'm interested in how you would answer it, Andrew. You're on your deathbed, you've got less than an hour left to live, and uh, a dearly loved family member implores you with tears in their eyes to to convert before it's too late. Would you say that prayer to make them happy? Yes. You hesitated far, far less uh, than I did. I, 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 still, I can't honestly answer with with conviction that I know what I would do.
1: I, so can I, I, can I oh, say please. something? Like that? Please. I think that um, you can you can say yes to a family member in order to to make them to satisfy their their concern. But I, I don't think that that's going to that's going to work when you when you stand in front of God. I think that when you stand in front of God, that you're, you're asking for him to reveal himself or him to um, show himself is, it has to be your own desire. It can't be somebody else's.
0: I think that's a very, very fair point. I think that's the right answer from the Christian perspective, actually, Sam. Sure.
2: Yeah, I think it is. Um, I don't think we necessarily choose our beliefs in that way. I agree. Um, and, and um, I'm I'm not of the opinion that there's a God that I'm going to stand in front of, and and even if there were a God, and 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 there were a Christian God, and by by the way, Sam, this is not implicit criticism. I'm completely willing to accept that you've got different experiences, and it leads you to a different conclusion than I have. I don't I don't have a better problem with that. Um, but. I am, even, let's let's just pretend like the continuum is not a continuum. There are only two choices. There There is a Christian God or there's not. I'm not confident in my own uh, skills of discernment enough to think that I could properly choose the right Christian denomination. I can tell you this, I don't think it was Church of Christ. I don't <laughs> think it was Southern Baptist. I don't think I, it was the Methodist. It's... So so I don't know what to do there, is so all I'm saying.
1: That's that's something that is, has never has never been an issue for me. I when when I did first come back into believing in God, my, my first point of call was a Unitarian Universalist Church. Yeah. And the yeah. reason being because they they accepted all paths lead to God. They believe in the idea that yeah. it, it, you don't have to pick a denomination. If you are seeking God, God will find you.
3: And
2: so to give you an opportunity to respond to some, I, I one of the things that I don't like to do with the listeners is for me to say something, and somebody on my side of the divide will just think, Well, that thing sounded like the perfect defeater, and, and go on with it and, and not think about it a little deeper. So, a second ago, I said, It seems to me that complexity accounts for the range of behavior that we see out of human beings. And then we moved away from that a little bit. And, you know, you, you talked about complexity and brokenness. And I sort of made that last statement that sounds pretty hard, like it like it might be a good answer for, for my side, and they can just walk away and think that was a one point or whatever. No, I, I don't want to do that. So I think it's fair to just rewind for a second and let you say something to that. Because this is, after all, just a, a conversation between guys that, that you know, Want to share the mic equally and be fair.
3: Right.
2: I, I think that
1: oftentimes the idea of brokenness, the idea of original sin is, is misunderstood. I think mm. that, um, so often we think, uh, this is one of the, one of the, uh, arguments I, I, I frequently come upon, especially on the, the unbelievable site and the unbelievable Facebook pages that, um, you know, why should, why should we be punished for something that Adam did that uh, a man who may not have even existed six thousand years ago why is the rest of humanity being punished and it's it's completely misunderstanding the story i think that, that we all know every single one of us that we we don't live up to our potential that is the nature of of existence it is the nature of of um what we are and that is that is what is meant by by sin that we
2: all fall short we all
0: so you don't see it as inheriting uh Uh, adam's wickedness and inheriting the punishment for for what he did
1: uh no i don't no i don't i think that um for for one i don't think the story is, is literally true i think the story is one of the deepest stories revealing who we are and what we are that um even when we know we know the right thing to do we will do the wrong thing we will choose the wrong thing the idea that that uh (laughs) <laughs> Just recently watched uh, the matrix and in the matrix, they talk about how they created the, the first world they created for the humans was a perfect world and the humans couldn't cope with it. They went out and smashed it. So they had to create yeah, second world that was, was they had, had strife, had trouble. That's the only way they could get the humans to accept it. That's who we are. We, we can't accept a, a world without struggle. I, that's another one of the arguments that I frequently come upon, is the, the argument from pain and suffering. We, we couldn't cope with a world without pain and suffering. It's not who we are. We aren't meant to be static creatures. We aren't meant to live in bliss. Good. And I, that's, that's some of the depth of that story, the, the original Genesis, Adam and Eve story. Is, is These are things that, that, for some reason, these ancient people understood. And it's something that I think we've lost. So. It's
0: an it's an interesting concept. That. I I know the part of the Matrix that you're you're talking about and that is, that's quite a quite a powerful scene. I'm trying to um, yeah, encourage my fifteen year old to to watch it, but she's she's resisting it. <laughs> I've managed to get her to watch Doctor Who and the, a couple of the more recent James Bonds, so maybe the Matrix isn't very far away. But we'll, I'll I'll work on it some more and and see where you we we may we get. I'm I'm not sure I. I can completely accept what you say about we we can't accept a world that's not not perfect because I think certainly there's an element of us that we want a world that's perfect and I would possibly argue that there's a there's a core of Christianity which uh, tries to convince us that there is a a perfect afterlife that we want to uh, achieve so. I I do think that a a perfect world is, is impossible. I I think what, whatever world we, we live in, there'll always be that a, an undesirable tier. There'll always be a layer that we find painful that we don't like. And even if you remove that layer, whatever becomes the bottom layer now will be the layer that we don't like. That is that we will call evil that will be painful for us to experience. Uh, So I think, yeah, I, I think, yeah. So I think that will always exist in whatever world uh, we exist in i I'm not sure i i i'm I'm struggling with the concept of we're incapable of um desiring or, or i can't remember the phrase it used of 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 uh, being able to live in a world that's um that's an interesting idea I'll have to think it through i, I I'm struggling to accept it i think is my i my think we point. desire
1: that uh, it's not that we don't desire it we i think that the the reason that so many christian Christians believe in a concept of, of a heaven of eternal bliss is because that's something that we desire. I, right. I have more trouble with the concept of heaven than I do with hell, because I think that the idea of a place of perfection, there is no growth. There's no room for growth. It's static.
2: I think my problem
3: with the...
2: Well, this is, this is easy. I, I, think, I think, again, for me, this is a little bit of selection bias on the part of sort of Christian culture. In education, uh, I spent some time as a teacher, and, and in education we had this, we had this, we this great praise for, for certain students that, that uh, sadly we didn't expect enough of. We called them overachievers. And, and so what that really was is an acknowledgment that, that somebody was, was going beyond the potential that we thought they had. And and so we actually do think, in some cases, that some people live up to more than their potential. And we have a phrase for it. We call them them overachievers. And and while I don't know that that happens enough, the reason we don't know is because we only get to live one set of decisions. And I think there's this, this tension when things go wrong Right. So so we think about buying cars, right, because it's an easy one and nobody's threatened by it. So when we go out to buy a car, we, we buy one and, you know, and and uh, we had multiple choices. You know, we could have we could have bought a Honda or we, or we could have bought a, a Toyota uh, or, or or a Ford or a Dodge if you're in the United States. But, um, you know, so you buy one or the other and the car has problems sooner than you think it should. And, and then you say, well, maybe if I'd bought the other car. And, and so there's there's this idea that somehow we did something wrong, right? That we should have made a different decision. And that gives us this, this sort of that in in other situations, in more ethical situations, gives us the idea that that maybe we did something wrong. But the thing is, we never get to fully explore those other uh, those other alternatives. We have no more claim to say that we weren't living up to our potential because we didn't make the other decision uh, than, than we do to think that we would have been worse off. We don't know. We don't know whether we'd have been better or worse off. That's what, the, what I'm working toward. I
1: think that <clears throat> I'm, I'm thinking of cases where, where we do know the right answer. You know, in that in that particular example, you don't know and you, you make a best guess and you, you get it wrong. I'm thinking of cases of you, you know, you, you know, you're not supposed to steal the pencils from work.
2: And we do. Right. right. That's, that's I, I readily look. You're absolutely right that there are cases where if if um, if my beer money comes from not feeding my child, I, I am doing something substantially wrong. And, and so, you know, I'll just yield all of that ground. Um, on the other hand, I don't know that that comes from human brokenness. Uh, now, I'm, I'm not saying that every decision falls into this category, but some of those are compulsive acts, And those things happen to Christians, non-Christians. They happen all over the world. And there's a psychology behind this stuff that actually works, Right. And, and those things are not always choices. I'm not saying it never happens, that, it, that it's a choice. But I, I
1: agree. I, agree. I, I think that, that free will is a thing, and free will is limited.
2: Yeah, yeah, if, that's right. If we had absolute free will, we would always do the right thing. So I, I'm so tempted to, to follow that into theology, and I, and, and I don't think it's the right place to go. I, I really Fair. don't, because... Um, because it turns into this sort of trite conversation about why something didn't, I don't, it's one of those fun philosophical questions, but, you know, we've, we've got this world and I'm struggling to find with our, um, with our sort of modern understanding of, of mental models, uh, you know, I'm struggling to understand how sin still fits in. We do, we do know that compulsion is a real thing. People aren't demon-possessed, right? They're, people are not demon-possessed. They actually have organic issues, right? Potentially, uh, some, right. some sort of uh, psychological problem. And that psychology uh, very often boils down to biochemistry, what's going on inside the head. And so, if there's a if there's sin, maybe so, but it seems to me that that our biology provides enough ground for the continuum of human behavior that we see. Yeah, you could. You, yeah, well, I mean, and you can go before that. You can say, but we have our biology because of the fall, right? Even if even if we're thinking about it in sort of a metaphorical sense for. Genesis 3, right? So, but, but our, you know, we get compulsion from the fall. And so I don't know if that would be your view. Um, well, I, uh, I'll,
1: again, this is something that I, I think that uh, is, my understanding of it is probably different than, than your your typical Christian's understanding mm-hmm. of it. But um, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll go ahead and expand my, how I understand it. I think that um, one of the it, the, the concept of the Garden of Eden we we all know what it means you You look at a cat, a cat lives in the Garden of Eden, you look at a dog and a dog lives in the Garden of Eden. What I mean by that is uh, if you step on a cat's tail, the cat knows it's hurt mm-hmm. it doesn't it doesn't uh, think about its pain it doesn't plot its revenge like people do. Mm-hmm. People are unique in that that not only a, a cat doesn't think to itself, I know that I hurt. It just hurts. A person knows that it hurts. A person can then plot his revenge or or be angry at the person or or hold a grudge. And this is this is unique to humanity. And one of the things I find brilliant about the, the Genesis story is that started somewhere. There was, you know, out on the African savannah at some point, there was a... a one of our distant, distant ancestors who, who accidentally stubbed his toe and thought to himself, I hurt. And that was the first time that that thought had, had occurred to any animal in, on the planet. And to some extent, that's, that's what the, the Genesis story is talking about. It's talking about consciousness. It's talking about self-awareness. It's talking about that we are different than the animals and that in knowing that we exist, it becomes, it changes from, from, it makes it so we have a choice between right and wrong that the animals don't have. An animal, a, a cat, it doesn't make the wrong choice. A cat does what a cat does. But humans, they can see two options and they can know which one is right and they can choose which one is wrong.
2: Matthew, I heard an inhale. There. There, there, <laughs> there, there there was a thought that, that actually lost the, the
0: microphone not- yeah um i yeah i uh, i don't agree i i understand um uh what's been said but it's i i don't see us as being that different from from animals and um i certain and yeah we're at risk here of um of going so far uh uh, of course, we end up in lost, <laughs> lost in sidings, um, but yeah, I, I, I don't buy the the, the free will idea and the, the the choices that we make. And you know, I've had the benefit benefit of uh, having several uh, pet dogs uh, through the house and uh, o- observing their behaviour uh, over things, and I, I don't think they're that different. As, as as some people say, they are in terms of thinking through things or 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 rationally coming to a con- conclusion. The dog that we've currently got now is she's quite advanced in years, uh, and I tell everybody she's a crotchety old old woman because you know she is very single-minded in things and it's like she's having an argument with us when we're going for a walk because she wants to go one way and we say no you're not going that we'll go the other way or there'll be times on the walk where she's definitely giving the indication that she's had enough and she wants to go back home and just curl up in her bed again and I'm pulling her on going no and it's it is it's like we're having a bickering row between each other And, and I don't think that that can be described away on, on instinct um, but the same to, but, yeah but you. at the same time I, I don't think it's free will either because i i don't believe that humans have free will either so it's it's an interesting complex problem but i think we are just the same as uh, our, our other mammals is the short version of what i'm saying i, I, think, oh, sorry,
3: I, think,
0: that, I think
1: that we are more advanced than animals I think that, that while we are basically the same. Uh, I think that with um, you know a, a dog doesn't plan his vacations right We you know a, a, to make a dog happy it's, it's quite simple you take him for a walk. My dogs get you know, dance in circles if they see the leash come out and um, but they're, they're not planning for me to take them for a walk. So I, I agree that, that I, uh, we, I, have, I have arguments with my dogs. And my dogs sometimes know the wrong thing to do, and they do it anyway. They get into the rubbish.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> to some extent, that's the nature of dogs. He, he knows that he's not supposed to get into the rubbish, and he gets into the rubbish. But he's not making the same decision that a person does when a person decides to, to do the wrong thing.
2: So help, I, me make a, help me make the leap with you. Because I absolutely agree that we are more cognitively complex than animals. Now, some listeners are going to hear that and say, oh, well, you know, you're, you're sort of dismissing something intangible of, of, about our existence. I'm, I'm not trying to. I'm trying to be fair to the discussion here. We we do things that that lower order mammals don't do. I absolutely agree. And. Um, Tool use, very complex tool use is, is one of those so, so yes, we have a very different mental landscape. So help me get from the first thought of I hurt to the world is broken and there's some model of sin.
1: The um the dog knows it just hurt, but doesn't register that I hurt. Mm-hmm. By registering that I hurt, I know that you hurt. By registering that I am an individual, I can register that other people around me are individuals. I don't know that a dog is, is that advanced, and I, I don't know maybe some of the no, more I,
2: higher perhaps. I agree with all things. of that. Yeah, although although there are great studies about uh, you know about lower order animals and community. And ethical behavior and that sort of thing, but I, I'm still trying to get from I hurt, and and I can abstract that to know that you hurt, right? So I, I agree, we do that. I absolutely agree. Um, it's it's one of the reasons that we are social creatures. But I'm still having trouble getting from I hurt, and I know that, I hurt. and knowing that you hurt. If you go through the thing, is is able to that you I absolutely agree that
3: we do that How
0: We lost. That we're losing model- Andrew you might need to re that we lost a bit of uh, quality on you there
2: oh okay so I, I absolutely agree that we have a cognitive model that allows me to to not only hurt but know that I hurt and if you go through a similar circumstance I can abstract my pain to know about yours to know that you hurt I still can't I still need help making the mental step from I know I hurt, and I know you hurt, to a model that says there's sin in the world.
1: Because that goes, it goes from there to, if you understand that you, a dog, when a dog bites another dog, he's not thinking, I'm hurting this other dog. He's just doing what a dog does. He may be protecting himself. He may be fighting for food, whatever he's doing. But when you fight with somebody else, when you hurt somebody else, you know that they hurt. Right, but how does, that, how does that get such, I, sure. I, how does give me this? I I want to it?
0: push back on that. I think a dog does know that it hurts when it bites, whoever it is that they bite, um, because I I think they're aware of how much pressure because the it takes to to create pain and what the response is. Because if you've anyone who's got a dog that they play with, you know, and they end up with their hand or or part of their arm in the dog's mouth, the, the dog won't bite down hard on that but it might hold it. And that's not the same as a dog biting someone else. If a dog wants to bite someone not else, either. it knows what to do to, to cause pain. So I think they are very much aware of of what their teeth can do to another animal and exactly how much they need to do it to cause the right amount of pain.
1: That's uh, that's true. And I think that, I, I suppose that they are making a conscious decision as to how hard they bite. I have, I have a dog and I've got a kitten. And the dog, when he plays with the kitten he he very gingerly bites the kitten so that the kitten doesn't isn't hurt mm-hmm. so you know, I understand what you're saying but I guess my, my larger point is the dog isn't concerned with the damage he's doing to a person that he intends to damage he's not he's not thinking about he's not having that process that mental process
2: right so how does that mental process get me from there to sin I, I, I still don't understand the connection of uh, you know, I've, I, I know I hurt. I know you hurt. I can understand that I can be pro-social toward you, you know, and, and, and by the way, I intend nothing but pro-social. I'm, you know, I wish we are here to share a beer over this, right? Because sometimes the show comes off where it doesn't sound like being very pro-social at all. And I want to avoid that, but we can be pro-social or anti-social to each other, but, I, I, I'm having a really hard they, time. This is how I got out of Christianity. I can't make that connection to sin. I,
1: I understand. I understand what you're, what you're grappling with. The being given the choice, we can hurt somebody knowingly hurting somebody and know it's wrong. And we will still do it.
2: Yeah. A but, dog
1: doesn't have that distinction. A dog doesn't knowingly hurt somebody knowing that it is wrong.
2: Oh, uh, Okay. So, okay, I, I think I see part of what the problem is here. Um, I think we've got a problem with Christian traditions. I think we come from two different places. So when I say sin, uh, coming from that very conservative Christian tradition, when I say sin, I'm, I'm sort of thinking about uh, some man in the sky with a pen in his hand, uh, sort of noting that down, right? <laughs> so. Okay. so so that was a sin, and um, and you're in some sense uh, separated from God as a result of that choice. And that may not be what you're talking about here. I don't think it is. Okay, so that is that is where um, we're just using a word differently. Um, so maybe so maybe we have more agreement here than I you know I, I wouldn't use the word sin uh, because the, I, it carries. I'm mean using the sin the.
1: I, I'm going to butcher this because I don't know the uh, etymology of sin, but the the the, Greek, the the Greek root of sin means to miss the mark. Sure to sure. not live up to what you want to live up to to make the wrong decision when you know the right decision.
2: Okay, all right so in in that sense i don't I don't think we have a whole lot of disagreement at all. Uh, I do think that we know. Uh, when we miss the mark and it can be in, it can be in very small ways um, right I've uh, I've got a young daughter uh, very young she's like five and a half weeks old or whatever oh very um, very yeah 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 and congratulations oh thank you
0: and she's already telling you that you're wrong
2: <laughs> uh, well yeah you know it's a, it's a uh, not hard for me to figure that out when she's crying unconsolably and I can't figure out what the solution is, you know, that uh, happens to all parents because sometimes kids are just upset and they don't have a particularly good reason either. Although the needs are pretty simple. So, you know, fortunately we're pretty resilient and we uh, make it through that. If I'm frustrated sometime late at night and she's being fussy and, and I'm frustrated, even if I don't take it out on her, I'm worried that she senses my frustration, right? And, and by the way, if you're a parent and you're taking your frustration out on your kids, you shouldn't, right? So don't take your frustration out on your kids. But we do have this sense that, you know, we're missing the mark somehow. It happens with kids all through their childhood, right? Um, some, because sometimes there just aren't any great solutions uh, to the problem. So, so I get that we can miss the mark How does that get me to a fall? Because, you know, that's that's sort of what I was appealing to when I was talking about sin. And so we sort of went around that ways. Um, But that's the thing that I'm talking about. How does how does our cognitive model get us to
1: the awareness of missing the mark is the nature of the fall? So a dog misses the mark, but he doesn't know he's missing the mark. He's just doing what a dog does. Whereas a person knows that he's missing the mark. It is self-consciousness itself that is the fault.
0: Okay. Interesting idea. There's a point I'd like to push back on is, um, I'm sure all of us are aware of cases where animals have stepped in to intervene in a situation. And probably the only way to, explain what's going on there is the animal doing the stepping in recognising that another animal is doing something inverted commas wrong you know is not behaving in, in a good way now probably one of the most famous cases is it's, it's available on YouTube I believe to, to still watch it's a case of a young child was playing on, in the front yard it was all caught on the home CCTV and a dog from one of the other houses on the street came and attacked the young child so the family's cat came charging on into shot and uh chased the dog away and you know i 've seen other cases uh, along that, so clearly the cat recognized that some a, a, the wrong thing was happening in this situation and presumably jumped to the conclusion that the aggressive dog was doing something wrong, and so put in some corrective action and chased the dog away so there is a concept there of recognizing right behavior and wrong behavior, I would argue, in that example. Admittedly, it's not self, which is what you've just said, um, but my, my pushback is on, on there in terms of recognizing acceptable behavior. That is a great video.
1: I've seen that video. It's, it's crazy. But yeah, I, I, I will agree. I, I think that um, to a large extent, we do have wiring. We are, we are animals. They are animals like us. And that goes way, way back. It goes well beyond, well, far beyond when we were what we are today. So I, I don't think that this is unique to humans, that, that
2: mm. there is a right and wrong. Wouldn't it be just as successful or, or possibly more successful to look at this ability to abstract our feelings for others as a rise rather than a fall? And that's, you know, it's not, it's not unusual in, in human culture to, to see our better cognitive ability as a rise rather than a fall. So it seems to me that while it is possible that my cognitive model, my ability to recognize that I can do you harm, it seems to me that it is equally, equally proper to characterize that as I can also do, I can also do you good.
1: I think it is both. I think that that the fall is in that we know wrong and we choose wrong. And that the expectation is that we do better. That is that is the idea of living up to your potential. That is the idea of rising above sin. So I, I, don't, I don't know that, it, that it's either one or the other. I think it's, it's both concepts are, are, are there.
2: Sure. So if both concepts are there, we should, in some sense, not talk about the fall of humanity.
1: Well, I, I don't know that you can avoid it. I think that... It, Regardless, you will, there will always be those people who who choose wrong, and that has to be that has to be part of part of our understanding of ourselves. Well, if you don't understand you, that about yourself, then it makes it hard to do the right. It's it's almost the the idea that if you don't understand history, you're doomed to repeat it. If you yeah, don't understand sure. your nature, you're doomed to fall into your nature.
2: Yeah, no, I, I get that. I think the problem that I have is it, is it doesn't seem it seems like casting it as brokenness is somehow not the quite way to quite the right way to view it. So if doing something antisocial is broken is doing something prosocial fixed that it is you know it doesn't seem to be the right kind of way to me. It, it is it is surely true that i can do something antisocial, something that's not in someone else's best interest. I am willing to accept the consequences where that where that happens. But I don't think it has further meaning in in some larger spiritual sense that humans are somehow broken or that this sin carries a special significance, you know, in, in some dualistic sense.
1: I think that uh, there is a, a right us, a perfect us. This is where where the spiritual sense takes takes over to the in in the story. There is there is a way that we should be behaving that that there is a perfect us that we are not. If if there was if, if we were living up to our full potential, then there would be no no reason to have have an idea of a fall. But we're never going to we're never going to live up to that potential because we're always because we always fail. I don't mean we How, always. I mean we no, fail. I know what you mean.
2: What would you living up to your full potential look like?
1: I, I think that's where you you come into the concept of heaven, or, or at least um the the Christian concept of the the. Risen again, I think that the concept as portrayed of Jesus after, after his crucifixion and rising is, is kind of that, that idea. He is, at that point, the perfect man.
2: Okay, but that didn't quite get to the heart of it because there's this idea. It sort, it sort of shifts the burden to uh, some place that we can't, uh, we can't really talk about with any, with any sort of clarity. So there's the idea that we have things that we do here that are right and things that we do here that are wrong. And the wrong things are broken and fallen. And the right things are um, you know, somehow saint-like, if, if we're to carry the Christian story through the whole analogy. And so when you say, I want to live up to my full potential or, or to be perfect, well, there ought to be you know, a, a way where you can say, okay, well, I, I know the things that I do that are wrong, what would, in in the same way, what would your perfect potential be here? Because it's clear that you can have a lack of your full potential here. And and so I don't think that moving it out to heaven actually helps any, Because that's just a way of disguising what perfection should look like. And that's actually part of my problem. So I, don't, I don't think... I, I think, okay...
1: Go ahead. That's the, the best way to, to put it would be the concept of... of the perfect person would be always having that control, always doing what is right. And then sometimes it's, it's, it's not even things that we would think of as sin. I'm currently trying to write a novel. Oh, good for you. And my, my method that I'm trying to work on is waking up an hour earlier to get up to write for an hour before I go to work and start get the kids ready for school and whatnot. And many, many mornings that alarm goes off an hour early, and I reach over and I hit the button and I go right back to sleep. That is sure. me missing the mark. That is me not living up to what I would like to live up to myself. And you, I, I don't, you know, this is, this is where it gets a bit funny. Would you call that sin? That is certainly me falling short of what I want to be. I think that the man would be in control enough that he does what he wants all the time. He lives up to his own ideal of what he should be.
2: So when you don't get out of bed in the morning to write your novel, are you sinning? That's where it gets a bit fuzzy. I, I mean,
1: sinning against myself, I'm certainly not doing what I know I should be doing. I don't think that when I stand before God, God is going to say, why didn't you finish your novel?
2: So then this is, so this is why I'm having trouble with this idea. Um, there it doesn't seem to me that the answer to full potential can be uh, can can somehow be mentally modeled it seems it seems that the problem is just I didn't do the things that I thought were best and I,
1: I didn't don't do the think it can that be realized I don't think it can be realized that's part of the part of the nature of fallenness
2: but how does heaven help that idea
1: well heaven heaven is a much much different conversation it's it's one that um i'm not comfortable with the concept i i it's yeah. one of those things that I, I kind of I, heaven as an afterlife i think that it is something i don't know i i have no idea how to rationalize that in my head i think we were talking before about the concept of, of, a, of a perfect place where where everything is perfect and and I don't think that we can cope with that. I don't think that, that humanity can handle that kind of stasis, that we, we need change, we demand change. So um, heaven heaven here on earth, as in uh, Aquinas and city of God and city of man, I think the, the city of God looks like someone who lives up to their full potential all the time. That is what, what heaven on earth looks like. If we were all to live up to our full potential all the time, that is what the city of God would look like.
2: I wonder, because... It seems that we still all have, occasionally, it seems that we still all have conflicting needs. Oh, that's, that's very poorly phrased, so uh, uh, my sincere apologies. We, we have certain conflicts between each other, even when we're performing at our best. Or, or at least I, I think I have those experiences, um, especially in my professional life. So, so I'm not sure that perfection necessarily comes from us all performing at our best because that doesn't necessarily resolve conflict. And I'm not sure that there's a, a model of heaven uh, that resolves conflict for me.
3: I agree. Okay.
1: I, I have issues with the, the concept of,
2: of, of, of heaven anyway. As I
1: as I explained, I, I don't, yes. I don't know. I don't know what it would look like with, I, I understand what you're saying. There, there are conflict. There are always people who, you know, Competition is, is, is human nature, and, and if, quite frequently in cases of competition, if one person wins, another person has to lose. Both teams can't win the Super Bowl.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: uh, true. Can I, um, uh, John, because it's been, I've enjoyed listening to you to uh, uh, talk that through. It's it's interesting, if, and listeners, if you want more of that, get in touch, and we'll, we'll tried to pick up more but i'd i'd, I'd like to move um move, move on a, a bit more if you'll if you'll both forgive me so sam we're we before we got on to this we're we're talking about how you you got on to to atheism and you were you're thinking through things and at, at some point you became convinced that uh, actually christianity is is worth believing, worth buying into, and and maybe some of the the longer answers to that question is stuff that we've been covering over the last twenty minutes. But uh, at what point did you make that step back? Uh, how old were you, and what 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 part of Christianity attracted you specifically?
1: Coming back to Christianity was a was a gradual process. It was it was a period like most of my twenties. I was I was. I would call it, I was attending a universalist church, a universalist, Unitarian church. Um, right. As attending a universalist, Unitarian church, I, I could walk into any church and feel comfortable. My wife is a uh, Catholic and she feels incredibly uncomfortable walking into a, a Protestant church. I've never felt that way. I have felt comfortable celebrating Eid with Muslims. Part of my search was, was, was trying to, to look at the different faiths, look at the different religions, and, and trying to discover truth for myself. And as such, frequently it would land me back in, in Christian churches. Uh, the, when I moved to New Zealand, which was 10 years ago, I, um, there wasn't a universalist church around, so I just started attending the local churches and started reading the Bible. And that brought me, it brought an understanding that I, had, I didn't have before of the Bible. It, it helped me to reassess how I was looking at the Bible and understanding how I had misunderstood it in my youth. The things that drove me away from Christianity were in large part because I didn't understand the Bible and what it was saying. And when I was young, I, I was looking for answers just to those things, and I wasn't getting them.
0: Right. Um, but a lot
1: of what we were talking about just now, with with the fall and sin and the nature of sin and the nature of being fallen, those are things that that uh, I, when I was when I first got to New Zealand, I was taking a course on Maori culture, and part of the course was the study of Maori mythology. And at one point in the course, the we were supposed to write a paper on our own culture's mythology. And in my paper, I said something to the effect of uh, my, my culture's mythology is the Judeo-Christian story of, of Adam and Eve, and nobody believes it. And I deeply offended my teacher by saying this. <laughs> said, basically, I said, uh, it, it no longer has anything to tell us. We, we've learned all that we can from these stories. We should put them behind us and move on. And um she was she felt it was culturally insensitive what I was saying. And um, probably five years down the road, I was reading these stories and realizing that I had misunderstood them, that the, the things that those stories were trying to tell me were things that, you know, I, I kind of so many people when they fall away from the faith, they think that the the Adam and Eve story is, is the way that the ancient people were trying to explain creation when they didn't understand it. They think it's a scientific story and that's not what it is. And if you take it as that, you're going to lose your faith because it just doesn't work. It doesn't fit. If you're, if you're an intelligent, rational person who is, who is looking at the story, you look at it and it doesn't make sense. But if you look at it from the viewpoint of, uh, this story is trying to tell you something about humanity it makes a lot more sense. And in re-looking at the Bible in that manner, I was able to understand that that I had had it wrong.
0: That's very interesting he you say it. And uh, I certainly identify with some of what you said. My Christianity was very much a a literalist, fundamentalist, young earth creationist Christianity. And so the interpretation of uh, Genesis and of Adam and Eve uh, for me was... uh, incredibly literal and that is how it happened there is no other way to to read that story it, it was, there was practically no nuance to it at all and yes quite quite honestly uh realizing that, that that story can't be literally true as written was part of the reasons why i i left christianity it, it drove me away I, from christianity because so I, many uh, but at the same time, so when I look at it now, I look at it with more nuance. I, I see it as as an evolved story That's it wasn 't written down in, in one sitting it it, it evolved over m- many retellings and many generations into what we we see it now well, well, I am cautious of reading into it things that were never intended in the first place, uh, but I do accept that it shouldn 't be read as as a literal. Uh, historical accounts and to do that is going to drive people like me uh, away from christianity and probably never to return
1: it would be a shame if that was your stumbling block to never return i will say because i think that um, as soon as you accept that it isn't meant to be literal then you should move on to trying to understand and this is uh, this is what i did i'm not saying that that i'm there's anything wrong with with walking away and not looking back. If if that if that works for you, then fine. But I think that um, as soon as you realize that that it isn't literal and that the story is trying to tell you something that is not that is not trying to tell you the history of it's not a scientific document. It's not a history book. Mm-hmm. That it opens new doors. It changes the way that the faith looks.
0: Yes, yes, it does, and uh, the the story becomes richer, and Christianity becomes uh, richer, and uh, the um, I was going to say the mythos. That's possibly not the word I'm looking for, but you know, yeah, it, it becomes a better, richer story for not being literal. I I, I, I absolutely accept I that. Yes. So the the Christianity that you're in now sounds like. Um, a more, a more nuanced, more accepting, more, more open Christianity. Would you like to describe briefly what's, what, what is different about the Christianity that you hold now to the Christianity you held as a teenager?
1: I, I think you just put the put, put your finger on it. It is more nuanced. It is more, um, it's more humble. I think that when I come upon something that I don't understand, rather than in my youth, if I came upon something that I didn't understand, and there's an awful lot in the Bible that I didn't understand and don't understand, I would I would write it off. And I think that if it, the Bible is one of those things that you can't write things off, you, you take it all or you leave it all. And right. as such, when you read something that doesn't make sense to you in the Bible, and this is probably what you were talking about before, about, about reading things into it that aren't there, and I might be guilty of that, but my thought is, this book, this book that has been handed down for, you know, the Christian parts 2,000 years and the Jewish parts, some of them probably as old as 10,000 years older than the young earth creationists think the earth is, these stories had, um, have, have incredible meaning and they have meaning for a reason. And to when you stum, come upon something that you don't understand, to say, oh, well, I'm just going to put that aside and not just ignore it and hope it goes away, I think that's, that's the wrong attitude. And um, that's what I did. That's what I did as a, as a teenager. The, the difficult passages in the Bible, I was able to say, well, I'm just not going to pay attention to that. And this is something that regularly comes up in, in discussions uh, with, with atheists because they really like to pick those parts of the Bible, the gods telling telling the, the Israelites to to kill every last man, woman, and child of the Amalekites or Canaanites or um, the the passages about morality of, in the Old Testament, the homosexuality, and why why is it today you still you are selfish but you, you frown upon homosexuality, and I think today those parts are parts that you don't ignore, but you also don't take them at face value. That that maybe
0: there is some truth in them that you're not seeing. Yeah, the I, those passages that you mentioned in in the Old Testament, yeah, they they certainly get picked on uh a lot by by atheists like like myself i i accept accept that
1: they should be i think that that those passages are difficult passages and and for somebody to i mean so many christians look at them and and shrug and say i I don't want to deal with that shrug and say i'm just going to ignore that and then move on and that's that's uh, to some extent it's not fair to themselves it's it's the, these stories have meaning to not accept that they have meaning is to is to sell the, the story short you're you're not trying hard enough if you will
0: you Now I don't but always know what those meanings are I think the question I'd asked is certainly those specific passages in in the Old Testament they it's been a while since I've read any of them in detail so forgive me if I've um, or correct me if i'm I'm mischaracterizing them but oh, my, I'm the wrong person to correct you. <laughs> okay fair but my my understanding of those passages is that they are they're basically a list of instructions there's not much more to them than basically do this do that uh, and uh, with Bill. so how is it how can we read more into what is effectively a list of lifestyle instructions
1: i i think that the list of instructions quite frequently is It was telling a people at a time methods of behavior that made their lives easier frequently. And the message was to those people in that time. Uh, An example would be Paul's letters in... I'm not sure which book it is, in in which he says that women should should keep covered and not speak in church. He was talking... His audience in the letter was a, a... church in Asia Minor. And they were having difficulty with these problems. And his message was to them on how to solve these problems. We should not use that as a blueprint for how we lay out our churches today. They are instructive in, in how to lay down a set of rules, but not rules that we should follow.
2: So that's um, a hermeneutic principle there. There's a, there's a, there's a big quandary in, in hermeneutics. And so I, don't, I try not to use this word very often over here on the foray, but hermeneutics is the is the idea of studying the Bible and, and rightly dividing the word of truth, if you if you will. But so there's a, there's a real debate in, in hermeneutics about what things are, are temporary and obligatory and what things are permanent and obligatory, right? So it's the idea that we shouldn't use Paul's instructions to the church in Asia Minor as a, as a model for how we should uh, construct our churches today uh, well that's you know it's, it's, it's
1: problematic just,
2: right but but that's actually that that's, that's actually the real real point is in order to get beyond the problem we just have to special plead for what we think
1: I don't know that it's special pleading I think that you have to read the book using ration I think that God made us rational creatures and This is part of, we know that we are going to misunderstand some things, and we're going to get some things wrong, and that's just our nature. It is is part of who we are, but we have to work with the best understanding we have using the Bible and using rationality. Does God want us to get it right? I think that God wants us to get it right and expects us to get it wrong. Earlier we were talking about about how we should how we should teach our children in the church, and should we should we teach them to ask questions? I know that my children are going to get things wrong if I give them the freedom to go out and explore. Part of part of becoming a mature adult is getting things wrong. I think sure. part of being a mature person is getting things wrong. I think yes.
2: Sure, is hell a potential outcome? Uh, I feel
1: a lot about hell and the way I feel about heaven. It's one of those concepts that I I can't know. I there's no way for me to know what what happens after life. My own personal view of hell is that um, I, I fall somewhere between an annihilationist and uh, and uh, eternal torment and suffering. I don't think either one can be right. I think if you're an annihilationist, it Destroys the the um, the argument for God from a moralistic perspective. That at some point you will stand in front of God and God will judge you, and you will pay for your for your shortcomings. But at the same time, I think that a God of infinite compassion and love is not going to create a place for eternal suffering. And that seems to me a contradiction. But I also I accept that this is one of those, those limitations that we just don't know.
2: So. This is this is part of my problem with the whole Christian experiment. Is you you've used so hermeneutics is the attempt to apply rationality to the Bible. Right. And when when we use the word rationality outside of a theological sense, uh, in in some real world way, when uh, we use the word rational. We mean things that behave predictably, things that uh, operate by understandable uh, principles that are repeatable. We, we use the word rational in a, very, uh, in, in a very sort of hard-headed sense. And I don't know a denomination in, in Christianity. I don't know them all by any means. But I, I've never encountered one that thinks they were being irrational in, in regard to how they you know how they divide this thing. The young earth creationists think they're right. The theistic evolutionists think they're right. You know, and and that goes for every single, every single idea in Christianity down the line. Should I should I use an instrument of music? Should I use an instrument of music? Should women wear veils or not? If they if they do wear veils, should they wear veils temporarily for the culture they're in, or should they wear veils permanently? This and and so I'm the thing that I think we are missing. Is a rational way to make sense of that book. I think that,
1: to a large extent, you are, or maybe not you. I would say these faiths
2: are squabbling over the details. I oh, I'll, I'll accept you, by the way. I mean this because you know I've, I've made this statement about me, and I, I don't mind the pushback. I mean, you know, so, yes, I I personally cannot make a rational. I, I have not, I have been unable to draw a set of rational views out of that book that don't create other contradictions that I think are untenable. It's, yeah, so, so I'm happy with that. Well, they, but yeah, they, the, the examples
1: you use, to me, you know, when, when I stand in front of God, God is not going to say to me, why did your wife not wear a veil when she went to church? That you're, you're the head of the sure. household. You should have done that. That uh, oh, to sir. me is sure. a, a detail that, you know, it's the, these uh, almost they're, they're squabbles of, between churches over things that don't really
2: matter. Amen. Okay, so, so tests of faith. I, I, look, I've said on this show before, I'll say it here again, one of the things that really bothers me about Christians versus atheists is that most of the time, on the vast majority of things in the world, we actually agree. I, I would no more steal from you, as, as, a, uh, you know, as, a, as a soft atheist than you would steal from me as a Christian. I would not abuse your children. I wouldn't cause your wife to cheat on you. I, I, wouldn't, dis, I, I wouldn't disadvantage you in a business dealing. Uh, I, I won't be unfair to you in a podcast. And you know, <laughs> right? so we're, we, we agree on so many of these things, so it makes me still question. Then, what is the test of faith? What does God care about, and how do I prove it?
1: Should they ever discover this podcast in a clay jar ten thousand years from now and wonder what this reference is? Jeffrey Epstein mm-hmm. last oh, movie, hung himself
2: in prison. Oh, okay, you're going to go all the way there, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Jeffrey Epstein was, was a despicable man who trafficked in young girls. He had a plane that was nicknamed the Lolita Express. Our society has known what Jeffrey Epstein is for probably 20 years. Yep. I think probably I started hearing about him yep. probably 20 years ago. We've known what he is. Our society has known what he is. Powerful people have, have protected him and used his services to abuse these young girls. And um, from a Christian worldview, I can I know why that's. Wrong.
2: I know why. wrong From an atheist worldview, though. Well, do you? Why? Why yes. is it wrong? Why is it? Wrong? Oh, that's oh, that's that's pretty easy. Um, humans are social creatures. We need social constructs uh, to live. Um, we gain our sense of value because it is required for us to survive. And. Jeffrey Epstein, or Epstein, however. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not either, and it doesn't matter. And the very proof that I know uh, why it's wrong is in the fact that that I don't need to think of what he has done as sin to understand that what he's done permanently alters the fabric of our society together in a negative way. How? I don't need sin for that.
1: How has well, it negative? He has taken vulnerable young girls who probably didn't have a lot of people who cared about them. And he has used them to pleasure very rich and powerful, mostly men, but probably some women too. So you did agree that they were vulnerable? Absolutely. Absolutely, they're vulnerable. I, he's not, he's not <laughs> and, connecting and without, from millionaires, is he? He's finding uh, girls on the streets, or, or I don't know where he found his girls from, but he's, he's not,
2: you know, Bill Clinton's daughter wasn't on that island, was she? Uh, uh, probably not. Um, so let me, just, let me just ask you this right out. Are you saying that if you were not a Christian, if you were an atheist, Are you saying that you could look at any one of those young women and say you don't have value?
3: Is is
2: is that what you're suggesting the atheist position is? I want to I want to understand. I'm not
1: suggesting that atheists think that. I think that uh, largely, I think that atheists atheists are borrowing a Christian morality
2: in order to say that. No, Uh, no. In fact, I deliberately didn't do that just now. I absolutely said that they have value because they provide something to our families and our families provide a social construct that we all need to survive. There's absolutely nothing in that that is a Christian worldview. Or at least I don't need Christianity to to get there. Yes, there is some. Yes, absolutely. Christianity uh, promotes family. um, But we see, we see the need for community in primates much lower than human
1: beings. But this has been the story of humanity throughout all of time, that rich and powerful men use attractive young women to, for sexual pleasure.
2: Okay, where is the thing?
1: If I was an atheist, would I look at Jeffrey Epstein and, and feel any different? It's a hard question for two reasons. One, because I think that we were raised, both of us, all three of us were raised in a very in, in, a, in a society awash with Christian values, and two, I'm not in the position. Sure. I, I, can, I can say, you know, I've, I've never had it offered to me, somebody saying, would you like to take advantage of this young girl? I'm, you know, oh. I'm, I'm a rich millionaire. Would you like to come to my island and sleep with these young girls? And sure. from a Christian perspective, I can say, but well, I certainly hope that my response would be No. No, that's you don't you don't do that to anybody. We're all created in God's image, and you don't do that to anybody. Okay, but, but from an atheist worldview, I have a much harder time making that case. Why? Okay. Why did these rich and powerful men not say
2: no? Okay, wait a minute. That's that's a that's a that's a shifting of the burden in the argument, though. I didn't say that there weren't people that did things that were antisocial. I said that it was completely possible without Christianity to gain value uh, in regard to another person uh, through, first of all, through uh, empathy with that person. We agreed about pain and suffering earlier. Right. Uh, all all yeah. I need is an abstraction of pain and suffering to know when I hurt someone else. Hmm. And I'm going to go all the way there now.
1: The Marquis de Sade believed that pleasure could be derived from causing other people pain and suffering. Empathy was a requirement, a requirement to understanding that they are in pain was what gave him pleasure. Okay. Um how is that dispositive? So, well that that is um the empathy is not is not what's causing the moral judgment. The understanding that someone is in pain is not cause is not where the moral judgment comes from. The fact um, that he needs to understand that they are in pain. He clearly understands that they are in pain. He... That is what that's what excited
2: made it made it exciting for him.
1: Knowing do you think somebody... he was normal? Do you no, think I he don't.
2: Was... Okay, no, then I... then he can't be dispositive in this conversation.
1: Well, but the, the difficult thing is is I think that the men who are who are taking advantage of Jeffrey Epstein's young girls are normal. Um, okay,
2: who were they, and how they... do we prove that? because right now we don't even know who they all were.
1: I think that you can, you can prove that dispositively because men throughout history have powerful, rich men take advantage of young women's beauty and sexual att- attraction to pleasure themselves. Okay. Now, I've never been a powerful man myself. I, I work at a liquor store. But if I was the president of a country and along comes this billionaire who says, would you like to come to my private sex island? That's it's a situation that I've never been in, and I would like to think that I would answer that question in the correct manner. But I, this is this is the whole nature of brokenness and fallenness. How do you know that you're going to answer that? And is have have those people made the wrong decision? They're not going
2: to do be you think right that? Now. Do you think that all or most of them would uh, answer yes to coming to a private sex island?
1: Most people, or most. Most rich, rich men,
2: just just the just the rich, powerful men. I don't know. Okay, how many of them do you think I, profess Christianity? Since since Jeffrey Epstein's in a Western world, were awash with Christian values, as you say. How many of them do you think would would say yes, I'm a Christian?
1: Again, I don't know. Okay, I, here's, I, I, here's don't, know, you know, I don't know the people who
2: who went to his <laughs> island. I, I, no, right. I know no, that's, that's, that's right, right. I, I pointed that out. So here's my problem: Christianity didn't solve the value problem.
1: I I think it's not that um, again. We, this comes back to the to the a, a good Christian. Okay, maybe not a good Christian. A Christian could have known that going to that island was wrong and still gone to the island. Christianity doesn't solve that problem. Christianity makes a judgment on that. If if I think this is um. You know I. Christian. Priests and preachers molest children. Now, I don't, I don't, I have to question how Christian they are because mm-hmm. I am afraid of God. I am afraid of that moment of standing before God and God saying to me, it's time to answer for your sins. And I don't know how they can be. Mm-hmm. I don't know how a priest who believes that God was just is going to stand before him and have God say, yeah, sexually abusing children.
3: Yeah. Now
1: they might profess to be Christian. I, they might even really believe that they're Christian, but I don't know how you, you square that circle.
2: Sure. So, do you ever um, do you ever take acts that um, that you know will harm someone and not do them just because you know they'll hurt?
1: Do I ever? I'm sorry. Repeat the question.
2: Sure, sure. Have you ever been offered a chance? to take a pro-social stance or an antisocial stance and not done the wrong thing just because you were aware that the other person would hurt. Them. Just because you were aware that you would be doing some sort of harm, that you would hurt them. In other yes. words. Okay. I think yes. Okay. So you didn't need a model of sin not to do that thing.
1: True. I... Well oh, this this comes down to can can an atheist be a moral person and i think absolutely i, I don't have any question that atheists can be moral people i okay. i'm not sure that 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 um you know i some of those men who went to that island probably were christian or professed or claimed to be christian but it's oh, it's, it's how how logical that morality stands up when at the end of the day, basically. Don't right.
2: But, so I think the way it stands up, I and mean, you you just acknowledge that there are things you won't do because without a model of sin, and by the way, I think you're absolutely right. If you if you had said, <laughs> just, no, I absolutely have to have a God to be a good person, I, I think, no, you know, I'd be very concerned about that. That would, that would truly terrify me because if you ever lost your Christianity again, you know, you might... You might, I, well, I don't know what you might do, and, and, it's, and I wouldn't say some sort of terrible thing, you know, just to, just to sort of make airtime or whatever. No, but, of course. But, but I think the, the proof that you don't need God was actually live when you were an atheist and you didn't have to think about
1: it. I, 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 I don't want to drag this back to Jeffrey Epstein, but I have to. Why, what, what penalty are those men going to pay?
2: Well, now that's, that's an emotional argument. Well, it's, is not not this positive, well, it's not it's, this positive about Sam. Whether they, whether they suffer a penalty or not doesn't tell us anything about whether there is a penalty provider.
1: No, it doesn't. You're right. The the failing of the moral argument is the, oral, the the moral argument is why we should hope that there is a just God.
2: It isn't why there is a just God. Right. By the way, I'm I feel like I should back off here <laughs> like you're, a minute I've well, look, 4A is a friendly, been friendly and cordial I, I, I enjoy this so okay. I that. want it to stay that way I don't want to over push this point, and so I really want the listeners to hear that um, because this is the conversation that, that gets atheists and Christians into this sort of locking of horns there's almost this deadly embrace, right? and I don't want to do that so if this becomes something that is overwrought, just say so, right? Because this is supposed to be a friendly conversation. And And it has has been. Okay. It's been great. Great. Sometimes Matthew has to put a leash on me. (laughs) 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 Said in a non-atheist way. Oh, never mind. Okay. (laughs) Never never mind. So I I really don't want to overpush the point, but I I think the truth is that people live their lives every day without thinking about a model of sin. We, we live every day doing the right thing or the wrong thing without a sin trained conscience if you will I think you're right okay and I guess right. my concern Sorry.
1: is if they start to think about it okay all right if you if you try and explain to me why a young girl that nobody cares about it's wrong for her to be used as a as a sexual prop for wealthy men mm. I think that's, but that's I to them.
2: Too. Right. But, but you care about them and you didn't need God to tell you you care about them. Uh, we obviously didn't care enough. Which I loudly agree. Absolutely. We didn't care enough. Yes, I absolutely agree. It is horrible and tragic. And and in fact, I'll even go a step further. He didn't commit suicide out of out of grief. He committed suicide out of fear.
1: And shame. Of the
2: consequences of what was
1: going to happen to him.
2: Right. But that answers the consequence problem.
1: Well, it does for him. There are an awful lot of men that, that were tied up in that that yes. are not facing any consequences.
2: Yes. And, and I will say for the listeners, in, in this, you and I are absolutely in lockstep. One of the benefits that those powerful people get from his death is that the evidence chain for some of those people died with him? Absolutely. And they and they will probably never see the inside of a courtroom. There, there are people in the United States and potentially all over the world right now who are absolutely praising his Jeffrey Epstein's name for offing himself because, because they, it they won't be complicated.
1: I agree. Yeah. And Badly it's shameful.
0: Ahead. Yeah, it's um, I I struggle with the um with the suggestion that uh, as an atheist or as someone who is atheist, my my morality is uh, is borrowed from from Christianity. Now I accept that you know, I was indoctrinated into Christianity as a very young child, and I lived the vast majority of my uh, adult years as well as my growing up years as a christian and so they have informed the, the person who i am i i accept all of that but i i do struggle when i'm told that because i i do i i see it quite a lot and people have written books on the on the subject that uh, the the only way i can act moral is because uh, of a christian heritage or however the phrase uh, needs to be said i I have difficulty with that, and I struggle with that because in the specific example that we've spent quite a few minutes discussing, my my reaction to it is is quite simple. You know, there there are people who, against their will, were forced into a situation that was detrimental to them. Yes, there are people who took great pleasure and benefited from from that uh, relationship, for lack of a better description. But that that doesn't make it. Right, because there were people who were were suffering as a result, and I look at that situation. I'm quite uh, horrified and uh, disgusted, and my response there is out of em- empathy for for other people because I recognise that other people are, are are being harmed, and I I don't need my my Christian heritage to to recognise that my ability to recognize that situation it hasn't changed between me being a Christian and me not being a Christian and the other thing I'd like to say about that is I uh, had the benefit of growing up in in a culture that was being witnessed to it was a missionary environment there were people who are being being witnessed to on a daily basis in, in Zambia where I grew up and I grew up in some rather rural Parts of Zambia as part of all that process. So I saw people who and, and cultures that were new to Christianity. They'd had their own cultures, and Christianity was a new invasion into into their culture. You know, before white people had uh, appeared on the scene less than a hundred years previously. Yeah, th- there was no Christianity to, to the culture. I had been to parts of Zambia where seeing a a white person was an extraordinarily rare uh, experience and so I would go go there as part of a group and you know people would crowd around us they'd want to look at us and touch us etc because it was a genuinely novel experience because white people were seen so so rarely in fact for, for some people we may have been the first white people that they'd ever seen but the the behavior the the generosity uh the discipline the the recognizing or of, of harmful behavior was no different to to those who had been experienced so i've seen cultures pre-christianity as well as cultures post-christianity and people and humans in that kind of uh social uh, environment they behave the same to each other because they've evolved into a method of mutual beneficial agreement. So, having seen that and having experienced that, I, I just can't buy the the expression that uh, my morality is, is is borrowed from from Christianity. It's far far more nuanced and far more complicated from that. It's it's an evolved uh, behavior trait which which predates Christianity by by a long way. So I, I. I I don't get it. I I just can't accept it.
1: I I think your experience sounds awesome. Like, I would love to go to Zambia. It sounds like it was Thank an you. awesome. Thank you. It was. Um, I I my argument is not that, that morality started with Christianity. That's, that's of course okay. a silly argument. I don't think that's true at all. And I would also say that I think that um there are many, many, um, you know, morality, morality starts well before religion. I think that it is uh, to some extent, and then regardless if there, if there is God or if there is not a God, there are social norms and social behaviors that we develop because we are social creatures. I completely accept that. I think that is absolutely true. I, I think the problem comes in at the margins. And at the margins, as in the case of if you are a rich and powerful person, you know, most people are going to behave in the way that society allows them to behave. Most people are going to uh, treat the people around them with dignity and respect because, because they want to be treated with dignity and respect. And they, and they also realize that, that if you don't treat people with dignity and respect, you get, you get the same return to you. I don't think that that is something that is a result of Christianity. But when you do get people who are uh, powerful people, who you know you, you you pause a moment before you do something that you know is wrong if there's a reason that it is wrong if there is a, a philosophical structure and it's not again it's not unique to Christianity I'm sure that this is the case in, in most other religions in most other countries I imagine that if you believe that that what you're doing I, I I can I can see that, somebody who doesn't believe something and remove Christianity from it, somebody who doesn't believe something can completely justify why abusing a young girl for sexual pleasure is, is okay if you can get away with it. If you, if you aren't but going to get, caught, there are no consequences to, to doing it.
2: But Christianity doesn't really solve that problem though, right? Because. Well, um, it doesn't solve the problem that it's going to happen.
3: Well, I don't well, think
1: that it, a Christian society does away with that. It doesn't fix the problem.
2: Well, here's what goes. I mean, though. Here, here's what I mean. I mean, the problem with Christianity is um, people can still make the trade. People can still say, okay, yeah, I, I'm an annihilationist, so the torment's not going to be long. Or, um, you know what? I just think she's, uh, I just think that child. She's going to be worth it. Right. If, by by the, the way, listeners, I the punishment is. Right. I'm so sorry to listeners, well, <laughs> but you know, I think that child is everything that I want for sexual gratification. I'm willing to make the trade, mm-hmm. and so I, I don't think Christianity gets us there. And 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 even if I said, okay, Christianity provides a reasonable value proposition, um, and and so I I think that. Um, I get my ethical view on why not to harm children from Christianity. It still doesn't demonstrate that the that the Christian proposition is true. But no, it doesn't.
1: It doesn't. I, I completely agree. That's why I say the, the moral argument for God is an argument for why we had best hope that there is a God, not that there is a God. All right,
2: completely- you did say that. Absolutely. I, and I wasn't really trying to make you say it again. There was That's a- my intent. I, I was just saying that what I, what I wanted you to hear from that was just that this is where I really have a struggle, is that the, the central claims of Christianity, <laughs> listeners are going to get tired of this, the central claims of Christianity about uh, a perfect moral lawgiver and somebody that can live forever, somebody that has the capacity to rightly divide the, the good and the bad, and uh, somebody that can maintain an eternal torture chamber or not, if you're an annihilationist, you know, All of those ideas are are ideas that we can't get to. They're the central claims of Christianity, and you can't prove them out of a book. And I, I see no reason to believe the peripheral claims of Christianity, like there's a moral lawgiver, without being able to demonstrate with equal satisfaction that the moral lawgiver exists. I agree. Well, thank you. <laughs> Look, this is, really, this is really where I hit the door on Christianity when I realized that for me, I'm not, and I'm not making this claim for anybody else, and I'm not even claiming that I'm 100% right, this is, where, uh, this is where I had to find my way to the exit because I don't know what it means to live forever or even if that's possible. Even, in a, even in, a, in a dualistic sense, I, I don't know that somebody can be perfectly knowledgeable. It does not seem to me, as a as someone who is familiar with with uh, information theory and computer science and that sort of thing, it doesn't seem to me that that an all-knowing entity is even is a is a reasonable proposition. So, you know, so when we talk about this idea of getting value out of Christianity, maybe, but I don't know how to further attribute that to a God. I think
1: it's two separate questions.
2: Okay. Uh, uh, look, now I'm interested in that. <laughs> okay. <it's- laughs>
0: can I, um, yeah, before we jump on that, can I just uh, jump on where we're touching two hours? We're in three different time zones. and That's true. I, I've got the short straw and I'm well after bedtime. Um, <laughs> and, but, but this is fascinating. So can we um, think think towards uh, wrapping up? Yep. And, yes. that. Um, yep. Is there any part of your story, Sam, that we haven't touched on that that you would like uh, uh, us to, to talk around or you would like to get across to our listeners?
1: No, nothing comes to mind. I'll think of something 10 minutes after we hang
0: up, but... (laughs) That is always the case. It happens to all the best people.
2: You are invited back for anything that you want to say. Uh, No, it would be a pleasure. Well, I meant to say this earlier, actually, because we've gone pretty far down some rabbit holes uh, in the last
0: couple of hours. This is not the the conversation I mapped out in the emails, but it's been fabulous (laughs) to be a part of. (laughs) So...
2: So here is here is the the invite that is always open to you. Um, don't let 10 minutes after the mic be the thing that, that stops you from saying, hey, I don't think we're really done with that conversation because that's not how we do things. You're <laughs> welcome back anytime. And we can continue the conversation because the ver- the thing that we fight against the most on 4A um, is – you know, leaving a conversation where the other person just has to, to live with how it was recorded and not get to follow up, you know, not get to not get to say the thing that was really important uh, later on because it happens to me too. And, you know, it, it happened, uh, well, it happened over on Unbelievable, quite frankly. There were some <laughs> things I wish I'd said. Um, sadly, uh, because I'm, I'm not a perfect fit for unbelievable. I'll never get to rehab those things. It lives forever in the podcast archive. Exactly the way it is. I I hear you. But 4A is, yeah, 4A is not that way. So you're welcome back anytime. Anytime you you. Thank
1: Thank you. I will happily come back anytime. This has been a pleasure.
2: Um, Matthew, I... Um, I know that we're winding to a close, maybe maybe sort of abruptly. Um, I have child care obligations 20 minutes ago. <laughs> uh, um, but Sam, I, I want to give you the last word. And, and so in, this, in the case of this show, um, I really am not going to offer a close. Um, I want to give you the chance to to say you know, whatever, whatever you want to say about value and Christianity and, um, uh, you know, how Christianity addresses marginal cases. Um, you know, and I'm going to be quiet and let you and Matthew finish this up.
0: Okay. All right. Um, yes. (laughs) Okay. Um, yeah, you go ahead um, and uh, give some some closing thoughts. Um, anything you want to to say more about about your journey? And um, I I guess a, a question I'd like to you to try and answer, if you if you feel you can, is what what one thing? Well, it doesn't have to be limited to one thing, but what would you like atheists in the position of Andrew and myself, or uh, I I don't know, or the categories of atheists that our listeners might be, um. What would you like us to consider to take Christianity more seriously?
1: I think that the Christian worldview, and this is, this is a. I, I understand that there are many Christian worldviews, so it's, it's the overarching story of Christianity makes sense of the world in a way that I haven't seen any other faiths do. And I have studied other faiths, I have uh, looked into several faiths when I was a Unitarian Universalist and um, I certainly considered atheism and I don't think any of them quite make sense of the world in the way that Christianity does and that's even though there was no epiphany moment that is largely what brought me back to the faith.
0: Thank you Sam you have genuinely been a a gracious, uh, thoughtful, articulate uh, guest. I'm so glad that I I uh, offered that invitation to you, and I'm so glad that you accepted I'm so glad I did. so readily. Um, yeah, and and sorry, I've had to force this to a heart I I don't like doing episodes more than two hours anyway. I I don't like to listen to podcast episodes at more than two hours, so I try not to put ones out that are over two hours. But it has happened a couple of times. Um, maybe we'll get this back on again listeners any questions any follow-ups to pick up any of the conversations that that we've had if you think sam is got the wrong version of christianity let us know and um, sure maybe, maybe we can <laughs> maybe we can talk uh, talk about that uh, to thank you both of you i'm going to go to bed now you guys enjoy the rest of your days And we will see each other online shortly, no doubt.
1: It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Sam, thank you.